Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. My name is Doug, and we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, thinking through God's Word together. Glad that you all could be with us this morning. And uh, as I said in the chat there, I hope you got some extra coffee. You may need it. In fact, for the next uh, week or two, I haven't decided exactly how long we're going to stay in this section, but uh, uh, for some of you, this may uh, this may rock your world, and for others of you, it may raise a lot of questions, and hopefully for, for many or all of you, it'll provide some clarity. Uh, we are working our way through Romans 9 through 11 and asking the question, what about Israel? Uh, because it's a prominent theme here in the book of Romans and indeed the entire scripture, and it is a... Uh, it is a, uh, a fire starter of uh, controversy, right, for, uh, for Christians really since the church uh, began. So uh, we want to see if we can figure out what Paul's talking about in this, in this section. Uh, we are in chapter 11, and uh, we're heading into that stretch that is the most controversial, I would say. Uh, maybe controversy is not quite the right word. You might argue that chapter 9 is more controversial as it deals with um, vessels of mercy, vessels of wrath, that kind of thing, and hardening. But we're going to get more of that hardening here in, uh, in chapter 11. We already have. but uh, So maybe controversy is not the right word, but it's certainly, it's people come at this from different perspectives, and they come to different conclusions. And I'm convinced that part of that, maybe, uh, maybe most of it, is because of the presuppositions that we bring to the text. We've already been taught and and have formulated a view of Israel, and we bring that to the text, and because of that, we don't really look carefully at what is in the text. Now, I want to say on the front end, uh, the view that I believe that the the what I think is true here of Romans 11 may not be true. I could be mistaken for sure. But uh, I do want to look very carefully at what is said and try to eliminate presuppositions as much as possible and see if we can come to some understanding. So uh, we're going to do that, and uh, I, we're going to start with verse 5, chapter 11, Romans eleven five, And I want to highlight something I have been pointing out all the way along. He says here, in the same way then, and the first question you should ask is, in the same way as what? Well, he just said God preserved thousands of prophets in addition to Elijah. Elijah thought he was the only one left. God says, no, I have kept 7,000 prophets. In the same way as that, as Elijah thought he was the only faithful one, and God says, no, no, there are 7,000. In the same way then, there has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. So Paul is saying in the present time, at the present time, this, you, you have to lock that in. What time frame is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about the 21st century? Is he talking about 1948? No. At the present time for Paul is at the present time for Paul, right? First century, first century. At the present time, he says, there has come to be a remnant, a remnant of Jews. And of course, this fits with everything we've been seeing in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And I know some of you are, you, you, could, you could even predict what I'm going to say now. 
uh, because I say it so often, and that's good. If you're mocking me in your head right now saying, Doug, move on, we got it, we got it, you know, the circle, yeah, the circle. If you're saying that, then I count that a victory <laughs> because when people mock me because I repeat things so much, that's when I know they're starting to get it. So if you know what I'm going to say, can mock me about it, then success. Not all Israel is Israel. I, should, I, I need to make a graphic so I can actually put this up and show those of you who are watching on video. But for those of you who are listening on podcasts later, I'm going to draw the picture in your mind's eye, okay? There is a circle, a big circle, and that is ethnic Israel. That is everyone who's ever descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, Israel, right? The 12 tribes and so on. In that big circle are all the ethnic Jews. And Paul said back in chapter 9, verse 6, not all Israel is Israel. Not all Israel is Israel. What he meant was, you've got the big circle, ethnic Israel, and within that big circle is the smaller circle that we could call elect Israel, chosen Israel, or to use this terminology here in uh, Romans 11.5, remnant, a small part of the big circle. There's a little circle in the middle that is the remnant who has received God's grace. Just like there were 7,000 prophets that God kept in Elijah's day. So he's kept some number, we don't know how many, but some number of Jews who received God's blessing, whose eyes were opened to the truth of the Messiah, who believed and received the righteousness of Christ in Paul's day. The rest of Israel of Paul's day were hardened. They rejected the Messiah they wanted him crucified. They thought he was an imposter, a blasphemer, a fraud, and they disbelieved in Jesus and they did not receive his righteousness. That's his point. So again, in the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time. Today, hopefully you'll see why I just keep pounding home at the present time that Paul says here. There's come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. And then he wants to make sure we understand what that means. If it's by grace... It's not on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And we talked about that. All right, then, verse 7. What then, what Israel is seeking, what Israel of Paul's day is seeking, righteousness, good standing with God, it didn't obtain. But the chosen obtained it. That was the remnant of Paul's day. What happened to the rest? They were hardened, just as it is written. And we looked at this yesterday. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Did you, did you uh, follow along with me yesterday? Was that new news to any of you as far as going back and looking at Psalm 69 and, and having the perspective of Jesus? And making those pronouncements, I remember the first time that I saw this for uh, what I think it is, and it it, it was shocking to my system. Uh, and I thought, how did I miss that? Well, it's because I didn't actually read the Bible. I read theology books. Uh, anyway, so we, we looked at all that yesterday. The rest were hardened. The remnant, the elect, received God's mercy. Okay, so moving into new territory a little bit. I say then, they did not stumble... So as to fall, did they? Very important question Paul is asking here. And there is a little bit of something that we miss in translation. 
This word uh, or phrase here that's in the English, so as, that is the word henna in the Greek. If you ever take New Testament Greek with me, uh, you will hear me talk about henna clauses over and over and over again. Henna clauses. It's, the, it's a little one word in Greek that is so prominent in the New Testament and so important. It means in order that or so that. It's introducing, in most cases, a purpose clause. So whenever you see this in the, in the Greek language, you know that, that Paul or whoever's writing has given some information and then he says henna for the purpose that or in order that so that this purpose would come about. Very important word throughout the New Testament and it's all over the place. So that's what he says here. I say then, they, the Jews, did not stumble in order that they might fall, did they? In other words, he's using, and he uses two words here, These, this word stumble and fall. There are two words that mean fall. Uh, did they trip? Did they stumble? Did they uh, fall on their face in order that they might fall? In other words, he's asking the question, what is God's purpose in their rejecting Christ? You see, it's in the context of the hardening uh, the rest, the unelect Jews were hardened so that they would not believe in Messiah. And now he's saying, did that happen? Did they stumble in order that for the purpose that they would fall? In other words, was God setting this all up ultimately in his final purpose of his plan? Did he cause Israel to be hardened so they would fall and be completely done? It's the question that Keith and others have been asking along the way. What about the, the Jews now? Is this his ultimate plan? And, and if you read through the Old Testament prophets, you see repeatedly God saying, Israel is going to be judged. I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to destroy them. But then he always says there's a remnant, right? So Paul's asking the question, anticipating the question we might ask. So as, as we have piled up all these texts that Paul has used, to show the hardening, the destruction, the blindness, uh, the fact that the Jews are vessels of mercy. Did God do all of that so that he could just wipe them out fully and finally, and he's done with Israel forever? Is that the purpose? And his response is, meganoito. <laughs> that is the strongest Greek adversative that you can have. May it never be. Absolutamente no for my Spanish-speaking friends. Instead of that, he says, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. The purpose of their stumbling, remember that this word stumbled, I don't, it's not the same word as the, the stumbling stone, but it's the same idea. Remember, he's going to lay in Zion the stone and the Jews are going to trip over that. They're going to stumble over the stumbling stone. The purpose of all that is so that salvation could come to the Gentiles. Isn't that interesting? By their transgression. And what's the transgression? This is a word that means to break the law, but in this context, I think it's pretty clear it means their transgression is rejecting Jesus, rejecting the Messiah. By their rejecting the Messiah, salvation has come to the Gentiles. It's what we see in the early church, in Paul's own ministry. If you read through 
the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul's uh, priority in terms of time was to go to the synagogue. He would go to the Jews first, right? He would, he would go into a new town and he would find a synagogue and he would try to show the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. And typically he would persuade some, but then eventually the leaders of the synagogue would get mad because he's threatening their power and all that. And then they would start to persecute him and he would run and say, fine, I'm done with you. Now I'm going to the Gentiles. That was his, his standard MO. Think about how he started this letter to the Romans. The gospel is the power of God for salvation in what order? To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jesus at one point, he sent out the, the disciples two by two, 70 disciples. He said, go into the, to the, to the cities of, of Israel, Jerusalem. I came for the Jews first. In fact, at one point, uh, do you remember the Syrophoenician woman asked him for help? And he says, no, I have not been sent to the dogs, meaning the Gentiles. He says, I've been sent to the Jews and then she has a great response, and she says, yes, but even, even the dogs get to eat up the crumbs off the, off the king's table kind of thing. And he says, oh, you've persuaded me, and he, and he heals her. Um, even there, Jesus says, no, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the Jews. So it's that kind of concept. By the transgression, the Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah, and now the salvation has come to the Gentiles. So... Paul went to the Jews and then the Gentiles. We see in the book of Acts, the gospel went to Jerusalem first and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, then to Ephesus and the broader regions. And, and that was Jesus' work as well. So Paul here is giving us some, some uh, the plan of redemption, God's plan. The, the hardening of Israel was not simply so that they would be hardened and fall forever, but so that as they were hardened and rejected the Messiah and the righteousness that comes through him, salvation would now be taken to the Gentiles. But notice that's not the end of the story for the Jews either. Look, this last phrase, to make them, Israel, jealous. All right, now I want to see if you've been paying attention. Those of you who've been with us through this whole study, where does this concept of making Israel jealous come from? Do you know? I bet you do. I'm going to give you a chance to, re to respond as I uh, prepare for where we're going next. Um, this idea of jealousy here, I, I took the screen away. Let me put it back here. Their transgression, the transgression of the Jews allowed salvation, the message of salvation of Jesus to go to the Gentiles. Then he says to make them, to make the Jews jealous. Is Paul just grabbing that out of midair? Is that a, is that a concept that he, that he knew somehow that, that we don't know? Or, and you can tell by the way I'm asking the question, or <laughs> is there something much closer to the text that, uh, that he would be appealing to? Anybody have it? I'm waiting, waiting. I know it takes a little while to type, and I know you're you're a few seconds behind here. Uh, and so while I'm waiting, I'm going to go back so I can answer it for you uh, in case nobody gets it. Uh, okay, nobody's got it. I'm kind of surprised. See, that's why I need to repeat it so often that you mock me, because if I don't, then you uh, it doesn't stick with you. 
Uh, and now I'm trying to, to find it. Uh, Mark says Romans 10, 19. And let's see, do we have a winner? We do. Ding, 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 ding. Excellent. Way to go, Mark. So back in chapter 10, he said, faith comes from the report. If you remember that, the report from Isaiah, Lord, who's believed our report, the good news. Faith comes from hearing the report, the good news, and especially the report by the word of the Messiah. And he asked the question, surely they never heard, have they? And he quotes Psalm 19. Uh, Surely Israel did not know. They didn't know this report about the uh, Messiah. And he quotes now from Deuteronomy, quote, I will make you jealous. I will make you jealous, you Jews. This is way back at the beginning of the relationship with Israel, Deuteronomy. And God predicts that they would disobey him. They could commit idolatry. He says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. A nation without understanding will I anger you. So way back, 1,500 years before the time of Christ, God says, I'm going to make Israel jealous by another nation, by, by a pagan nation. And Paul is saying here in uh, chapter 11 that that is being fulfilled as the Gentiles receive the gospel. Verse 11, again, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall today, and may it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. I see here a comment by Prepped for Eternity, Homestead. Greetings, I'm not sure we have met before. Glad you're glad you're here and coming. And greetings, enjoying this. I'm a Baptist pastor trying to get my head around this. Yeah, that's you're the you're exactly. If I if I know your background, which I'm guessing, and we we just now met, uh, I'm guessing this is going to make your head explode, because those in the uh, the Baptist camp, especially dispensational camp, uh, if you've got any of that in your background, this is this is just contrary to everything you've ever seen. Um, so if you want to follow up, if there's any sp- specific question <laughs> that uh, uh, that will help you, um, I'd be happy to engage with you. You're Donnie from Alabama. Welcome. And, and if we have spoken before, if we've interacted on here before, I apologize. I don't remember. But uh, welcome from Alabama. And uh, if you have a question along the way that will help you get your head around this, I am uh, I'm happy to try to address that. But hopefully... Uh, uh, hopefully as we walk through this, you'll see what the text is saying. All right. So if I, uh, if I do know kind of where you're coming from and even Donnie, if you are not, uh, I know some others are, this is, this is going to be difficult. Okay. So, uh, let me do this trying to think through, uh, which is the best route to take here. I want, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to look at the end of the story. Okay. Because this next section of Romans 11, there's so much controversy. Ah, I said that earlier, controversy, there, there's, there's disagreement. We, we come to different conclusions as we read it. And I, I think it's because, well, I already told you why I think, but the, the two most prominent views of the remainder of Romans 11 are these. Number one is the dispensational perspective. And I'd be curious, uh, Donnie, if this is your perspective. This is so typical of 
Southern Baptist and other Baptists, fundamental Baptists. And if you say here you are a reforming Baptist church, great. Uh, don't go all the way with the Reformation. Just come partway to New Covenant theology. <laughs> um, the, uh, the dispensational view of Israel is that the end times is all wrapped up in Israel, right? And dispensationalism says that we are waiting. The next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. And, you know, the Lord's going to take his, his body away. The Christians are going to be removed from the earth. And that means they're going to be Christian pilots who are flying airplanes and they're going to be raptured. And that plane's going to crash. And, uh, uh, there's going to be, you know, cars being driven by Christians and the driver's going to be raptured out and the car's going to crash. And, and suddenly everybody's going to look around and all the Christians are gone and, and all that. And the Antichrist comes and he makes his, uh, his covenant with Israel and you got seven years of tribulation. And, uh, and then finally Jesus comes back again and, and starts the millennium and all that. That's the typical view. And, and when we get to later verses here of Romans uh, 11, and it talks about all Israel being saved that's people use this as part of that uh, that model that that view of of uh, rapture and dispensationalism and and the Jews then coming to faith, coming to the kingdom, all that. Uh, that is not um, from my perspective, and I don't mean to offend anybody here, uh, but that is just not a tenable position biblically. Uh, the the pre tribulational rapture, all of that is is just not in the scripture. It makes for interesting fiction, if you like the Left Behind series and all that, but it's, it is fiction. It is just not a view that can be supported from the scripture. And, uh, and I say that in love to any of you who may be with us. I hope you'll listen to me and, and let me try to persuade you. Um, but I'm just telling you, if you look at the passages that are used, uh, read them carefully. That's just not a, a position that the Bible teaches. Um, the most popular view on the other side of things for non-dispensationalists is that Romans 11 is teaching a, a mass conversion of Jews to Christ at the end, right before Jesus comes back. That he's, uh, the Lord is going to bring uh, biological descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the, the Jews, you know, right now. And for the last 2,000 years, most of the Jews have uh, rejected Jesus as the Messiah. But that based on Romans 11 here, uh, and I'll just show you, verse uh, 26, so all Israel will be saved, just as is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. Uh, most look at that as... Um, the the uh, the Lord's going to bring a mass conversion of Jews at the end, right before Jesus comes back, and that may be true. That may be the that may be what Paul's teaching here in Romans eleven. I want to try to persuade you of another view that I think is faithful to the text even more so. Um, I may be wrong about this, and I don't find other uh, scholars agreeing with me. So that always, uh, that always gives me a little pause, right? <laughs> Why can't I find some other people that see this? Uh, so as we go, please feel free, ask questions, push back, um, because I don't want to teach error. I want to I be true to the scripture. And if I'm mistaken, then I want to be shown where I'm wrong. So feel free. But, but don't rule this out 
without walking through the text with me. That That's my uh, request. Let me see, got a couple of responses here real quick. And then I, I do want to show something here before we wrap it up for the day. Uh, Donnie says, I'm convinced of the early revelation writing. This helps me with clarity. Uh, good. And Mark says, knowledge contested is knowledge advanced. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we should all be humble enough to, I, I've been wrong. I've changed my mind, uh, you know, enough times over the last 25 or 30 years that obviously if I change my mind, it means I was either wrong before or I'm wrong now or wrong both times. <laughs> so if you've ever changed your mind, then you know you're wrong and have been wrong. So you might change your mind again. Uh, so that's why I say I want to be open to that. So let me let me walk through. I want to go to the end of the story to set us up to where Paul is going, the conclusions he's going to draw, and then we'll use that as the jumping off point to walk through Romans 11 uh, more carefully next week. All right, so here's what he says at uh, in verse 28 and following. From the standpoint of the gospel... They are enemies for your sake. You see how this is very similar to what he said back here uh, in verse 11. I say then, they, the Jews, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Was that the purpose? So that Israel would just be done. God would be done with Israel. He set him up to fall so that he could be done with them. Is that it? No. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And here's a purpose for Israel in this, to make Israel jealous, just like God said he would do in Deuteronomy, right? So in Paul's day, remember I kept emphasizing the present day, the first century in Paul's day, God is fulfilling what he promised 1500 years prior that he would make Israel jealous by turning to the Gentiles, All right? Hopefully that's not confusing to you. That's just very clearly what he's saying here. So in that same context, even though he says some other things along the way, we get to verse 28 and he says, so from the standpoint of the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sake. The you here are the Gentiles. So, and who's, who's enemies? God's enemies, right? They've rejected the Messiah. The Jews have rejected, the Jews of Paul's day have rejected Jesus as Messiah. That makes them God's enemies. And he's hardened them. And he is pouring out his wrath on them. And he is furious with them because they've rejected the Messiah. They are enemies of God. From the standpoint of the gospel, because they've rejected the gospel, the good news of Jesus. For your sake, Paul says, for you, Gentiles, for your sake. Everybody tracking with me there? That This is not hard. I mean, it may be in some ways hard to, to understand to, or to, to, gra- uh, to, to believe maybe, but it's not hard to understand that his, his statements are pretty simple. From the standpoint of the gospel, the Jews heard the gospel, they rejected it. The Jews of Paul's day, the, the, the Jews that saw Jesus perform all the miracles and do all the things that he did, raise Lazarus from the dead. The Jews that saw that and the Jews that Paul preached to and most of the Jews that Peter preached to and the rest in the book of Acts, the Jews of the first century rejected the gospel and were enemies of God 
for the sake of the Gentiles so that the gospel would now go to the Gentile nations and they could be saved. I hope you're tracking with me here. But he says, from the standpoint of election, and the NAS translates that here, uh, God's choice, they are beloved. So they are enemies of the gospel, and in a sense, enemies of Jesus and enemies of God. But from another standpoint, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. That's the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those originally who received God's promise. Now, if at this point, there's a little bit of you scratching your head saying, um, okay, I, I understand what you're saying, and it is exactly what Paul says, but I, I don't understand, Lord, what, this doesn't make any sense. They're your enemies, but they're your beloved this is for the Gentiles, but it's for the Jews. It's it's for the fathers. Going back to I, 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 this, just all seems so confusing, and and I don't get it. If that's your response right now, you are onto something. Hang on, okay. Hang on. I'm going to show you. He says, from the standpoint of election, from God's choice, they are beloved. For let me explain this to you. Paul says, the gifts and the calling of God are. And here, all of our English translators don't help us. The word is not irrevocable or irrevocable, to pronounce it correctly. That's not the Greek word here. I don't know why they all translated irrevocable. This is the word for without regret. Paul uses the same word. Uh, let me, I should have had it pulled up for you. He uses this same word. Uh, in, in the book of, let's see if I can do this easily for you. Yeah. In second Corinthians seven, do you see that? This same word is, is right here. He says the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. This phrase without regret is the same word as Romans 11. See, that's why I pulled it up here. These are the same words. What is repentance without regret? If God brings you to sorrow through hard things, I'd love to take the time and show you how I was using it here, but just you can look at it on your, on your own later, 2 Corinthians 7. Uh, when God brings discipline and hard things and he causes sorrow, according to him, according to God's will, that produces a repentance that you don't have any regret. It, yeah, the thing may have been hard. You sinned. And God brought you to repentance, and and you look back and think, oh, that was that was that was a horrible experience. But if there's true repentance that leads to salvation, there's no regret. God doesn't have any regret. You don't have any. Nobody has any regrets when this pain caused repentance that leads to salvation. He contrasts that with the world's sorrow, which produces death. So the word is there's no regret. There's no, uh, there's no wishing you had done it differently. There's no, whoops, wrong passage. Um, there's no, uh, I don't even know what to say. There's no regret. That's the word that's used here. God's gifts, when he called the fathers, when he called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and made his promises to them, when he gives them gifts and calls Israel, 
He doesn't look back with regret and sorrow thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. No, why would Paul even say that? Because you look out and see the vast majority of Jews for all time were idolaters, wicked, evil people. And in Paul's day, they rejected Jesus as Messiah. It looks like a complete failure by God. Right? If, and, I, and I'm just totally making a, a number up here for illustration. But if, if 6% of Israelites of all time became Christians, and if 6% of all Jews for all time trusted in the one true God and obeyed him and loved him and served him, that means 94% didn't. And you can see God going, oh, I'm sorry that I even did this. I regret having called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the Jews because it's a big failure, a catastrophe. And again, by 6% is purely for illustrative purposes. I have no idea what the number is. And Paul says, no, God has no remorse, no regret for his gifts and calling. Why? For just as you Gentiles... Just as you once were disobedient to God, all those centuries from the calling of Abraham until Paul's day, 2,000 years, and really you could say before Abraham too, but for this argument, for 2,000 years, the Gentiles were disobedient to God, had no hope. That's what he says in Ephesians 2. They were without God, without hope in the world. There were only a few Gentiles in those 2,000 years who trusted God, who believed God. Very few. You've got Ruth, right? You've got, uh, you've got Job. Uh, you've got uh, Rahab. You've got a few along the way. But the vast majority, you could say it this way. For most of human history before Paul's day, the big circle was Gentiles, and there was a remnant of Gentiles who received God's grace. Then starting with the coming of Jesus, uh, you could argue earlier, it flips the other way, and there's the, or I guess the call of Abraham. There's the big circle of Israel who, and, and the remnant there, you see? You once, you Gentiles once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. When's the now? I hope you said it out loud. The now is Paul's day, right? You see that? Just as you Jews once were disobedient to God. That was the whole history of Jews. Uh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me back up. You Gentiles. <laughs> Just as you Gentiles once were disobedient through their whole history. But now in Paul's day, have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, the Jewish disobedience. So these, the Jews, also now in Paul's day have been disobedient, hardened, rejected the gospel, that because of the mercy shown to you Gentiles, they also may now be shown mercy. If you followed me through that, your head's exploding if you've never seen this before. I know it's getting tedious for some, but let me, let me just say this all again because this is the section that people just, 
they, they, they don't see. Just as you Gentiles were once disobedient to God, but now in Paul's day have been shown mercy because of the Jewish disobedience of Paul's day. So these Jews also now in Paul's day have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you Gentiles, they, the Jews, also may now in Paul's day be shown mercy. Do you see all the present tense Paul's day language here? Why? For God has shut up all in disobedience, Jews and Gentiles, so that he may show mercy to all Jews and Gentiles. Now, if your head is exploding at this, look at this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Do you know what this word unsearchable means? It means you can't search it. What does the word unfathomable mean? It means you can't fathom it. Is Paul just making nice doxological statements here? No. He's saying, of course your head is exploding. Of course you couldn't trace this through. Of course you couldn't figure out how God was going to do all this. His judgments can't be searched. His ways, you can't track him. You can't trace him. And then he quotes from Isaiah, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who could have figured this out? Who became his counselor and said, hey, God, here's the right way to do this. Quoting Job, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him. And then this phrase that we all know, but it, remember the context, for from him, from God, through God, and to God are all things. The whole plan from beginning to end has all been out of God's conception by means of God, for him, and to him be the glory into the ages, is what this phrase is. Amen. So if this whole section here boggles your mind about, wait a minute, they're enemies, but it's for the sake of the Jew, for the, uh, the, the Gentiles, but it's to make them jealous, and, and because of his calling of the, of the fathers, wait a minute, now the, the Jews are going to be shown mercy now, and you're going, I don't understand, how could this work out? It doesn't make sense to me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yet, it has been revealed to us. So we're going to walk through in the days and weeks to come and see if we can sort it sorted out. The thing to really hone in on for the rest of chapter 11 is this phrase, so these, the Jews, have now been disobedient. They've been hardened in Paul's day that because of the mercy shown to the Gentiles, the Jews may now in Paul's day be shown mercy. You read chapter 11 from the perspective of Paul's day and see if you can figure out what in the world God was doing. All right, our time is up. Uh, it's past time. Thanks for sticking around with me. Uh, have a great weekend. If you have some time, dig in here and, and, uh, and write some questions down. See if you can figure out, figure out what's going on. When Paul goes on to quote more Old Testament passages, go look them up and see if you can figure out where he's going. And uh, we'll have some fun next week, uh, Lord willing. So have a great day. God bless. And we will see you on Monday.